The Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I am co-founder of Financing Solutions. For those of you who don't know the company I own or uh, co-own, we provide easy-to-set-up lines of credit for small businesses and I will be your host for today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. And you should all know that over the, well, uh, over the 25 plus years that I've had my own companies, I've almost always had a line of credit. I really believe in what we do. I think every entrepreneur uh, should have a line of credit just in case. And if it's used smartly, it's really a good idea. I've personally built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range, including two companies that have made the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in the United States. I love learning from people with business experience. And today I'm very excited to be speaking with Rich Brooks from Flight New Media. Rich is the author of The Lead Machine, The Small Business Guide to Digital Marketing, a popular and well-received book that helps entrepreneurs and marketers reach more of their ideal customers online. He has appeared in Inc. Magazine, the Huffington Post, FastCompany.com, CNN.com, the Social Media Examiner, and many other news stories on digital marketing. Rich, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Stephen, thank you for having me. This is exciting. Well, so today's topic, what we're going to be talking about, and it's we're going to be backing into it a little bit, but small business marketing, how to stand out online and off. And if you listen to, if my listeners have listened to my podcast before, um, this is like the 400th one, I think, uh, something around that, uh, six seasons, uh, they know that I'm, I just, I firmly believe that marketing is the key to your business, that you know, you could have a great product or great service, but if you can't acquire clients inexpensively, you have no business. And I think it's the number one biggest thing to help entrepreneurs get over that $10 million mark is you got to have a marketing uh, uh, machine. What do you think? Well, I hope so, because I've stuck the last uh, 25 years of my life believing that in, in acting it out. I there are very few businesses that don't need to market to survive. Uh, most every business needs to position themselves in the marketplace, explain why they have something of value or something that's more valuable than their competitors and find out who their ideal customers or clients are and get in front of them with that messaging, helping them by educating those customers all along their customer journey. So hundred percent, absolutely agree with you. So, you know, before you and I got on air, we talked a little bit about this book that's on your head, in your head, right? That yes. one of these days you're going to see the incredible um, ability called self-publishing. <laughs> and uh, and it's a lot of fun. I've done it. I, I wrote a chapter in a book that was 28 pages, the chapter was, but I really enjoyed the process, to be honest with you. Um, and I would recommend it to any, everybody. Um but tell us a little bit about this, the idea of, of this book that you kind of have. Yeah. So, and I have self-published before the lead machine. Was oh, a that's right. Book, I'm sorry. So. Of course. <clears throat> that's all right. That's all right. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just a matter of time. I actually, during COVID was working on this as a new presentation and started collecting so many stories about what I'm calling the remarkability formula that it, 
I couldn't put them all in the presentation. So there will be a book. It's just a matter of, again, finding that time in my calendar. But yeah, so the idea here is just something I've seen time and time again. And, and it's the idea, you know, I run a digital marketing agency, Flight New Media, you mentioned it. And many times owners and marketers come to me and they're like, you know, I need help promoting my product or my service. And they have something that really they haven't identified what makes it interesting to, to the consumer. They haven't differentiated themselves from anybody else in the marketplace. And they come to me and they, they want, Rich, I want to rank number one in Google for my search terms. Rich, I, I want you to run Facebook ads for me or Google ads for me or whatever it may be. And the bottom line is these days, anybody can run Facebook ads. Everybody has a website. Everybody's optimized it for SEO. That's no longer a way that you're actually going to get customers. Those are those are the table stakes. So I started having these conversations with a lot of other businesses about instead spending time up front, trying to understand what makes them remarkable to their clients, what helps differentiate them in the marketplace. And once you've done that, you've identified your best customers, you've really honed your message down on that element of remarkability, then you'll find that your marketing becomes much more easy, much more effective, and you're going to get all the business you can handle. And so that's more or less what I've talked about. And obviously remarkability, well, a few things. One is I know a lot of people get scared of that word. Like there's this imposter fraud syndrome that seeps in. Oh, I'm not really remarkable, whatever the case may be. All I mean when I say remarkable is that your ideal customer clients will remark upon what makes you different. Like there's something about you, something novel, something different, something funny, something truthful that is just going to separate you from everybody else. And what I started to develop with by talking to other businesses with this methodology, which I now call the remarkability formula, and it's four lenses that businesses can kind of turn on themselves, do this kind of self-identification process so they better understand what does or could make them stand out. And happy to talk through it. I can give you the four lenses and then we can kind of talk through each one if you're interested, but however you want to run this. I, I Yeah, I would like to hear those four things. And then I would add that um, by far, I totally agree with you, you know, that the, I, I remember when we were starting the fifth, my, the last two companies I have, I still have them and they, um, I have a, 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 a co-owner with them and you know, he was a very experienced business person, just like I was. And it, you know, we just, we, we were able to ramp up so fast with these companies because we knew exactly what we were doing. And one of the things, cause I'm on the marketing side was to say, what is going to be like, I've spent a lot of time saying, okay, what is going to be our special sauce? Right. What is going to make yeah. us different in the market? What, and that, that's not, I don't even like the word different. You know, it's like culturally, what is going to make your company remarkable? I, I, I think that is true. Um, and I don't think that you should get into any advertising at all until you figure that out. And then you go with the vehicles of SEO and at Facebook and, you know, email or direct mail or all the other stuff. But you got to, you got to put the basics in first before you go in that direction. So let's, Start off and tell us the, the first step or the first thing that's involved in really doing a good job with that. Absolutely. I'll, I'll mention all four and then we'll go into the first one. Please go through order. So um, the four lenses are find, focus, forge, and frame. So find is 
all about there's already something that makes your business remarkable. And it's just up to you to identify it and give it a name. And I'll, as we get into this, I can give examples of each one. Through focus, focus is all about niching down and really niching down until it hurts, until you're the only person or business offering your specific solution to a very specific audience. Through Forge, you create something that is outside of your main offering, something that isn't required, is extrinsic, but that is in alignment with your mission and values. And this is one that a lot of people have trouble wrapping their heads around. So I'll definitely explain that. And the last one is frame. And this is really just about positioning your offering in a new way so that the value you're providing is revealed to your ideal customer. So find focus uh, forge and frame are the four lenses that you can use on yourself to kind of go through this. And this is something you can do. I mean, I do it with my clients, but you can do on your own. You can bring in your team. You can do it, uh, bring in some customers, get their feedback as well. But it's a great process to go through because I like your term special sauce, right? So your special sauce or your unique value proposition or your purple cow, whatever you want to call it, you really need to figure out what that is. And as I, I often say is uh, remarkability is like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. So just because, Stephen, you might think something's remarkable about your business, if no one else cares, then it's not. So you have to find that thing that really resonates with your ideal client. So let's start with find. And this is, I always start there because it's the easiest to understand. If you've been in business for any length of time, and I know that your audience are all owners that have been in business for quite some time. So this should be an easy step for them is just figuring out what it is that gets people to choose them instead of the competition. And if you're not sure, you have an entire survey group of current and past customers that you can ask. So you can just ask them why they chose you and why you stood out to them. And if you start hearing the same phrases over and over again, you know that those are going to be words that are ultimately going to go into your marketing communication. But <clears throat> as an example, when I bought my first house, I remember it was in dire need of a paint job. And, you know, we started talking to people and basically the feedback we got from other neighbors and homeowners was that the paint crew comes to your house. They're there for like a week or more. It feels like an eternity. They leave their stuff all over. They park on your, your lawn. And it's just an unpleasant experience to have to go through. And we had one guy, though, who said he could get the job done in two days. We're like, fantastic. Let's do it. And the way he did it is he shows up with 20 guys on his crew, like four of those uh, those uh, white van panel trucks pull up, they jump out of the, the truck, they, they grab their ladders, they throw them up the wall. And honestly, by the time the day was over, they had already finished the first coat of paint. I think they were singing sea shanties the entire time, but I might be misremembering that. I don't know. But uh, they come back a couple of days later. Uh, they do the same thing again. They finish it. And the whole thing took two working days. As you can imagine, all my neighbors took notice of all these people painting our house and how quickly it was done. That's remarkable. And it's a very difficult thing to replicate too. And that's another important aspect of the remarkability formula. If it's easy for somebody to steal an idea, they will. So you want to find something that's difficult to replicate. And especially in this job market, it would be very difficult to keep 20 painters uh, on your salary, especially in Maine, which is such a seasonal business. So that was pretty remarkable. Um, so that's like one example of find. And it could have been, they also, could have been fishermen who are between gigs at the moment. That's that's could have been his niche, right? It could have been, although lobstermen, which are even bigger here in Portland, Maine, uh, usually are working pretty hard year round. But yeah, uh -huh. there are definitely seasonal workers. But it is it's a tough thing to do, and it's tough to do that. But it's easy if somebody sees a really good Facebook ad campaign from a competitor. 
All they need to do is replicate it. Mm. And suddenly that competitive advantage is gone. So as you think through your own remarkability, think about things that would be difficult for other people to steal from you. And that's just one example to find. It could also be in your pricing. It could be in your product. It could be in your delivery system. There's a million different ways that you might already be remarkable and just don't know it. And then it's identifying it and giving it a name. And that's what find is all about. So if that makes sense, we can jump over to focus. All right. So focus is something that's the next one, right? Yeah. I know that all business people understand the importance of niching down, but rarely do we niche down enough. And this, especially you've started what five businesses already. So, you know, the importance of really starting with a very narrow niche and then you can grow from that. But it's that act of really niching down, uh, as my friend John Lee Dumas says, niching down until it hurts, where you literally, uh, you know, you're, you're afraid almost that maybe there's not in a big, big enough marketplace. You need to make sure there's a big enough marketplace. But it's about finding something about your own um, system and then maybe even reducing it. You know, one example is uh, there's an oil company. When I moved into my new home, I know a lot of home stories. Uh, when I moved into my new home, I needed to get oil delivery. And for those of you who are not in the uh, east coast of of the U.S., most of us get our heat, or many of us get our heat from oil companies. They deliver oil into our houses. So, the the cheapest company out there, I called up and I looked of their on their delivery system, and we were like basically right on the line of where they agreed to deliver to. So I called them up, I asked them, they gave me, uh, they asked for my address, I told them, and they turned down my business. And I respected that because what they've decided to do is they've kept their prices down by not having to lug all that oil around and keeping their gas prices, fuel prices, and everything else lower by really reducing their area. And even though, yeah, you could say, well, they could grow, they could do other things. This is how they chose to really focus down. And another example, I kind of uh, blew this story by by revealing it, but John Lee Dumas, when I first met him, we met on a New York City uh, rooftop bar at a Blog World event way back in like 2012. And we, we met through a mutual friend and she said, you guys both are in Portland, Maine. You should get to know each other. And I said, John, what do you do? He's like, well, I, I just quit my job to become a uh, selling commercial real estate, to become a professional podcaster. This was 2012. I didn't even know there was a professional league back in 2012. So I'm sitting there going, okay, how long before this kid moves into his parents' garage? Obviously, Entrepreneurs on Fire became this huge, massive success for a podcast. He's living down in Puerto Rico with his beautiful mansion on the water. And when you talk to him, there's a lot of reasons why John was successful. But one of the reasons was, is he really niched down. Back when he started his podcast, most every podcast, especially business podcasts, were seven, were every seven days, once a week. He decided to do a daily podcast. And at the time, this was unheard of. He was in a mastermind with some of the biggest podcasting names at the time. And they all told him he was crazy. But he knew that there was an audience out there that wanted daily inspiration. And so he set up his daily podcast and he became really good at it. And because he was doing it every day, every time a journalist went to interview somebody and they did a Google search, they found John. And through all that press, he started getting bigger name guests. He started getting sponsors and he started blowing up his business. And all by niching down to serve a smaller audience of podcast listeners who wanted a daily podcast. Because most people only wanted a weekly podcast and they were going to burn out from this. But it's it's about going you know, like they say, the riches are in the niches. So that's just one example of how focus could work for your business. Yeah, I've noticed it too. I, um, the better, um, more experienced uh, business owners, they say no quite a bit. And, you know, and I think, you know, the least experienced 
business owners will think that they can do anything or everything. Uh, they, they think yes is a better answer than a no. And I would tell you no is a better answer than a yes. It takes a while to get to that point. Though. Well, it does because unfortunately, when you're starting a business, you're you're, you know, you you, there are times when you'll you know you, that takes experience. I don't mean experience as an entrepreneur. I mean experience in your industry too. You have to be really, really paying attention, asking the right questions of people about, you know. Uh, why they became customers of yours. Did you, you know, if you have to be honest with yourself, are you doing a good job delivering what you're delivering to to the, the customers? Are you spread out too thin? You know, it's all very, very important stuff. And it doesn't, sometimes you can, you can start off your business with saying, okay, this is exactly what we're going to do. And I think, again, when I started my businesses uh, later on too, I, I actually did that a good job with that uh, at a very young, my very first company. I, you know, I, I always did a good job of staying very narrow. I was very reluctant to go outside of that because I just didn't like the unfocusedness of it. You know, it just Absolutely. wasn't my personality. I like to be really, really good at something. I love execute, you know, you know, and not, you know, I'm not trying to get off the subject matter here, but, well, I think focus comes into this play is, you know, what's l not talked a lot, a lot about entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, it's like, oh, you know, ideas, ideas, ideas. Okay. When you start the company, you already had your idea. Okay. Then it's all about execution and, and focus is a big part of that. And, and execution, a lot of people don't find it exciting. It, they find the ideas exciting, and I find that it gets a lot of entrepreneurs in trouble. Absolutely. You know? So let's move on to the third one, Forge. I so guess. Forge. Forge is one that a lot of people struggle with, and the idea behind Forge is you want to create something that's extrinsic um, to your main offering. And so here's an example. that I have a bunch of great stories about this, but here's one of my favorites. So um, I'm sure you've sometime in your life, Stephen, overcooked your pasta, right? You know, you, the phone rings, you get distracted and you left with a bowl of mushy noodles. Uh, the, the pasta company Barilla has come up with a very creative solution to this. And what they did is they created Spotify playlists that are the exact right playtime of all their different pastas uh, for al dente cooking. And if you go to Spotify, you can look these up, search on Barilla, you'll find different ones. There's Boom Bap Fusilli and there's Spaghetti Mixtape and all these different ones. It's not just that they're the right time so that you can set them up and start cooking your pasta. Each one has songs done by Italian artists. The cover art is done by Italian artists as well. Um, and it's all about this idea of Barilla being an Italian company, you know, in, in Roma, Italy, and that their belief is cooking is art, right? So it all pulls together really nicely. Now, again, the bottom line is you don't need these playlists to cook your pasta properly. You can just ask your smart speaker to set a timer. You'll be all set. But by doing this, by creating this thing that was kind of outside of what they normally do, they started getting the attention of all these foodies and all of these uh, reporters. And they got so much attention around this. It really helped grow their brand. Plus, they got this entire new platform to market on um, a market of Spotify. And some of their playlists have like I think it's 18,000 likes. So people are obviously using them and they're talking about them. They're sharing this story. So that's just one example. Uh, another example is 
you know, they planned this. For me, I started a conference here in Maine called the Agents of Change. And it wasn't about necessarily growing my business. It was just about I was going to these big social media and digital marketing conferences all over the country. And rarely did I see another person from Maine, another Maine. So I said, what if we just had an event like this here in Portland? And so for eight years, right up until COVID, and now we're bringing it back this year, we had this conference. We bring in over almost 400 people to the conference, uh, which is big for a state that shares in a, a single area code. Um, and, and you don't have to go to the conference to hire Flight New Media. And you don't have to hire Flight New Media to attend the conference. These are two separate things. But when I step up on stage as the MC and as the president of Flight, and there's a lot of co-branding that goes on, people immediately start thinking about agents of change and Flight New Media in the same breath. And many times when I've asked clients, hey, how come you chose us to do your website or SEO? They'll say, well, I've been going to the Agents of Change conference now for years, and I'm finally needing some Google ads, or I'm finally needing some social media help. And it was because of that conference that we're being put into uh, this category of companies we should talk to. And again, it's a lot of work to put on a conference. It's very easy to do an Instagram post. So find those things, not just that make you stand out, but also are going to be difficult for your competitors to go head to head with you on. Yeah, it's all good stuff. I I agree. I, I think sometimes, this, you know, I remember when I thought about starting this podcast six years ago. You know, I, you know, I said, you know what, I'll never know um, if it's going to work out until I try it and, um, you know, and what's what, where it's going to go. And it wasn't really that hard to do and not that expensive. So, um, you know, it's been, I've been doing it for a while. It's actually, I do two podcasts. So forge ahead, right? Is, I think it's good, but you got to be careful too, because I know we're contradicting ourselves a little bit when it says focus. But also, I think you, you have to experiment a little bit as well, right? You do, but you can still be serving a very small audience in focus and creating whether it's an event or a scholarship or Ben and Jerry's created an ice cream flavor specifically to back up their, their value. So there are things that you can do that are in alignment with your mission and vision, but still allow you to focus on that very small niche of customers who will become raving fans. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. And I like that term too, raving fans. Um, good. All right. And well, last one is yeah, let's wrap it up with frame. Yeah. So frame. frame is just the idea of kind of positioning what you're already doing. So it's not too dissimilar from fine, but sometimes it's about positioning in a new way. And, you know, Red Bull's a good example of this Red Bull, when they came to market, uh, they could have just been another soda and they undoubtedly would have been crushed by Coke and Pepsi, but instead they serve it up in a can that's half as big. They charge twice as much and they promote this one ingredient that they have that the other two didn't have, taurine. And they were basically the original energy drink. Well, fast forward today and they own 40, I think it's like 46% of the energy drink market with products from Coke and Pepsi following behind them. And they I, made $6 billion in international sales. And this was all about reframing the conversation. We're not a sugary drink, we're an energy drink. Um, and you don't have to be a global company to make this work. Uh, there's a book called The Introvert's Edge uh, by Matthew Pollard, and he talks about sales from an introvert standpoint, but he also talks about some of his later work where he was doing coaching. And he tells a story about this woman named Wendy Huang. And Wendy was a uh, woman out in California teaching people how to speak Mandarin. And business was great until all these inexpensive upstarts started popping up charging much less than she did. And then things like Fiverr started appearing and people from China could charge, you know, just $5 
to compete with her. And she was losing her market share. She was losing her business. And he sat down with her and he went through all of her clients. And he noticed that there were a couple of clients there that were actually business people who were being relocated to mainland China. And he talked to her about it. And it turned out that not only was she teaching them Mandarin, but she was also teaching them business etiquette tips, how to work better with Chinese business people. Wow. She was also working with their spouses and children to help them acclimate to this new world that they were going to be part of. It's very expensive to move Americans overseas to work in China. So if it doesn't work out, that's a huge loss. He got her to refocus her attention just on these people and also to rebrand herself because he said to her, you're not helping people learn Mandarin. You're teaching them to be successful in China. And from then on out, she became the China success coach. No longer was she competing with any of these people who are just teaching Mandarin. She was teaching people, business people, how to succeed in China. And that made all the difference to her bottom line. Was her business failing at the time? It sounded like from what's in the book, because I didn't interview Wendy directly, mm. it sounded like her margins were shrinking, her business was going away, and she was laying people off. So yeah. it really did feel like it was circling the drain before he helped her identify this niche that she had already been serving, but she wasn't positioning it in a way that really showed its value to anybody else. Yeah, I, I've been there. It's hard to sometimes figure out. Um, that's why sometimes, honestly, a consultant's really helpful because they can they can see see they can see things that you've been looking at forever and you you can't see it, but they can, you know. Absolutely. And there's um, no sacred cows for them. So you may have something that really worked for you well five, ten years ago and you've never yeah. been able to let go of it, and they'll come in and tell you you gotta drop it because this is no longer serving the market. Yeah. I, I had one company that was like that. Did, the company did really, really well, but I knew it it had a limited time. Um I, I knew we had a uh, a runway um, because of something that was going on, a trend that was going on, and I never could figure out what else to do with the, the business. And it was it was a great business um, for ten years, and then I just I still couldn't think of what else to do with it. Um, I probably should have brought a consultant in and kind of had, but you know, sometimes finding the right consultant too is the is is hard too. Um, Absolutely. So. Uh, you know, let me ask you, you've been doing this for how many years now? 25 um, years. We 25, 25 years. this year, yeah. When you've seen smaller businesses versus big business, you know, when we talk big business, say when you've seen somebody who's in the two, three to $4 million revenue per year range versus somebody's in the 25 to $50 million range from a marketing standpoint, what, do you, what mistakes do you see them making? One of the biggest mistakes I see and I still see it to this day, is that when businesses are at that size, many of them still try and keep, kind of what you were just saying, try and keep everything in-house. Like they, they want to grow their company from the inside out, which is not a bad idea. Don't get me wrong. I think it's great to bring people up through the ranks, but they're so afraid. Owners sometimes are so afraid that no one else can do it the way that they can do it, that nothing can be delegated, nothing can be outsourced. And owners become this bottleneck to their own success. And I... I made that mistake myself. I don't know if you ever did, but after a while, you realize that you're the person getting in your own way. And whether it means that you need to hire an outside digital agency or an outside PR firm or an outside accounting firm, or you need to delegate more of what's on your plate down to the people who work for you, that's like a critical growth point. And it's really hard to get past a certain point in your entrepreneurial journey if you're not willing to let go of certain things that you do every day. Yeah, I, I see it all the time. I agree with you. I've said it in past podcasts that 
Uh, I'm not afraid to have somebody else. I don't care. Who, I don't care who's doing it as long as we win. And also, I don't think. Um, I don't know. I've I've always been I've been fine with not having control of everything. Um, but I, you know, I I like to focus on what I want to focus in on. What what I yes. feel is my strength. You know. Um, but I, I, you know, I've said this before and I'll say it again. If you expect to get over $10 million and you're not willing to let go, you're, you're not going to do it. You're just yeah. not going to do it. And, and, you know, like I said in this last, on the last podcast I did, you know, someone could point to someone like Steve Jobs and say, well, well, Steve Jobs did it. Right. But, uh, my opinion is I've met a lot of business owners, a lot, hundreds. And the ones that say that they are control freaks, they don't grow very much. They really don't. No, and I don't know that Steve Jobs, who I admire quite a bit, being a Mac guy, um, had the happiest of lives. Terrible. At the end of the day, I He's want to person. live a good life and I want to run a company. Yeah, he was a terrible manager. People hated him. He treated people like shit. You yeah. know, I'm just, you know, listen, I, I agree with you. I, you know, here, here's your choice, uh, uh, Rich. You can be as wealthy as Steve Jobs, but everybody hates you. And he, he, you know, or you can be, I don't know, maybe a little bit more wealthier than you are now and, you know, have a good quality of life. Which, what do you want? Well, part of the reason I moved to Maine is because I wanted quality of life. So, gotcha. yeah, no, obviously I'm going to be in the second category. Um, so, I mean, I I'm exaggerating it, but, right, but I yeah. understand what you're saying. I agree with you. It's like part of being an owner, part of, for me, part of being an owner, part of being an entrepreneur. Um, there's a lot of things I love about it. And, and part of it is just that I get to kind of craft my own life. I decide what the company's values are going to be. Now, like we said, we have to delegate things. I don't do any client work anymore outside of like business development, a sales call. And occasionally if things go off the track, they'll call me in to get everybody back in the room. But other than that, my team does all the SEO. They do all the Google ads now. They do all the Facebook stuff. I've kind of become the dumbest person in the company in some ways. And I'm totally cool with that because I know where my value at Flight New Media and Agents of Change are. And I lean into those and I let all the other very talented people on my team take the rest of the load. And they're happy about that too. Yeah. Well, let's just leave it off at that. Um, you know, I, I'd like to thank so very much Rich for uh, Rich Brooks from Flight New Media for coming on to today's podcast. Um, if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And please also give us a review, of course, if you liked today's podcast or of the all the other ones, as long as it's five stars. It helps us get the word out. And if you're looking for a line of credit, please visit our website at fscreditline.com. Again, that's FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com. Rich, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Uh, well, if they like podcasts, and I'm guessing they do, they can always check out the Agents of Change podcast. That's my podcast all about digital marketing. And if they want to connect with me personally, I am the Rich Brooks on just about every social media platform. But LinkedIn is where you get the fastest response. Yeah. So I think the thing that, um, you know, our summary for today was, um, you know, the four steps that Rich talked about, find focus, forge, and um, what's the last one? Frame. Frame. That's right. I couldn't read my own handwriting. And, you know, I love methodologies like this. It really keeps you focused and it, it, it helps you kind of go through these things. I, I find them to be very, very effective. So, Hopefully, who's ever listening today is going to maybe take some time, go grab a cup of coffee, sit down for an hour, 
Um, every I used to do it every Friday. I work on my strategic work every Friday for two hours. Go to a coffee shop. I loved it. Got out of the office and started working on this stuff. Um, and uh, it, you know, I like what uh, Rich's methodology says. So everybody, have a fantastic day. Uh, enjoy yourselves. It, you know, part of being an entrepreneur is being able to work on whatever you want to work on. <laughs>